in the name of the Lord. Today is um, another Sunday, a blessed day that the Lord has given unto us, and we should rejoice in it. Um, I want to thank God for this privilege and opportunity to see my brothers and my sisters in Christ, even remotely. I want to say that the name of the Lord be highly exalted in Jesus' name. Now, before I begin, I um, just want to open us in prayer. Everlasting Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity. We thank you, Father, that you have called us together under the throne of your grace that we may draw strength to face the day and the week. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Father. Even as we are going to hear from you, Father, I pray that you speak through me. Speak to your people. Open their ears and their spiritual eyes that they may behold the wondrous things out of your words. Thank you, Father, for you are in our midst. And blessed be your name. Amen. Yeah. If you guys can hear me, uh, just in indicate if you can hear me properly. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, before I start, um, I just want to tell us that I've got a new job. <laughs> cool. Just like every other parent, I'm now a teacher <laughs> with the kids. So that's another busy, another busy uh, period for me. And I thank God for that opportunity as well. Um, yesterday, after preparing for, you know, I went through what to teach uh, today. Eventually, I don't know how it got missing, you know, whether I didn't save it or whatever, but I couldn't find it. So <laughs> last night I had to start again. And lo and behold, it was a different, a different um, message altogether. And um, just this morning, in one of the readings that Brian put up, uh, uh, it's the same passage I have in the message. So I thank you guys. And I believe the Lord is in our midst. He's speaking to us, even true and unworthy verse. Today we are will continue this morning in First Samuel, the book of First Samuel, uh, chapter 13, from 1 to 23. And I would like to you know. Uh, title it as Danger of Disobedience. Danger of Disobedience. If you can go with me, please, to First Samuel chapter 13. It says, verse one, Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountain of Bethel. And the 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of Philistines 
that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, and said that Saul had attacked the garrison of Philistia, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand, which is on the seashore, in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Mishnah, to the east of Bethavu. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in tickets, in rocks, in the holes, and in the pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the Jordan, to the land of Gert and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mi'kmaq, then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal. And I have not made complication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a bond of and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gideon of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. So Jonathan, his son, and the people present with him remained in Gideon of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Midian. Then the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned out, turned onto the road to offer to the land of Shur. The other company turned to the road, Beth, Beth Heron, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooked the valley of Zeboi towards the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make so prosperous. But all the Israelites will go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's lotion, his, his mattocks, his axe, and his secrets. And the charge for a sharpening was the pin for the closure, the matter, the box, and the axes, and to set the pounds of the goats. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. 
for they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Midmarch. Praise the Lord. In our previous chapters, we've seen the demonstration <clears throat> of God's faithfulness, even when the Israelites were deep down in their rebellious attitude towards God by rejecting him as their leader. They opted for self-determination by desiring to be like other nations whose kings go to war and determine their fates. It should be noted that man's inconsistency and adherence to ungodly counseling leads to disobedience. And disobedience leads to catastrophic fall from grace to grace. Israel's rejection of God was not born out of God's insufficiency nor unfaithfulness to his covenant. Rather, they rejected the living God out of disobedience and inability to keep their own side of the covenant. In chapter 11, we witness the first thought, the first test of Saul's leadership as he gloriously rescued the Jabesh Gilead of the hands of the Ammonites. But this very victory does not in any way lend any justification for rejecting God who had successfully led them through so many battles and have dispossessed greater and more powerful nations before them. And as such, if any nation should have the cause to worship God, Israel should be the one. And if any nation should have any faith in God, Israel should be in the forefront, given that their eyes have seen and witnessed the power and the glory of God. Now, Sadly, the reverse was the case. They did not live up to this. All in all, God made name for himself. Despite their rebellious mind, despite their rebellious mindset, he went ahead to achieve victory and subsequently restore unity amongst them. So they gave the honor to Saul. In chapter 12, as our dear brother Brian led us, we witnessed the official resignation of Samuel and the handover of the leadership mantle to King Saul. In doing so, he delivered a powerful but convicting speech before the assembly of the Israelites. You go with me, chapter 12. Chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, and I will read verse 1 to 5. It says, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? From whom or whom have I oppressed? Or from whom, whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything 
from any man's hand. Then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you. And he's anointed his witness this day. But you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. Here in this passage, Samuel took them down memory lane and made it clear to them that their demand for earthly king was not as a result of any insufficiency nor criminality on his part. That he had dedicated all his life to their service. That he had served them diligently. And now that his best days are gone, they were unkinder to cast him away. And concerning his children, he made it clear to them that they are with you. You may, if you wish, call them to an account for anything they have done wrong. According to one commentator, he put it this way, they are present with you and you have not upon this, and they have not upon this revolution fled from their country. They are upon the level with you subject to the new king as well as you. If you can prove them guilty of any wrong, you may prosecute them. Now, by due course of law, punish them and oblige them to make restitution. One thing we should note is this. Can any of our leaders in today's world and to make such a declaration of uprightness. Can any of our political or religious leaders be sincere enough to take similar stance? It takes only the fear of God. It takes only total commitment to the word of God. And most of all, it takes only total submission and obedience to the word of God. Also, it should be noted that while King Saul was working with Samuel, things never went wrong. But soon as Saul began to take decisions by himself, things began to fall apart. And the narrative in chapter 13 opens us with a timeline of King Saul's leadership and reckless action. As we now began, as he now began to reign in the power of his own wisdom and strength, everything began to decay. And Samuel's words in chapter 11, verse 7, began to fulfill. And according to Martin Henry's commentary, never was the state of Israel undergone in a consumption than in this chapter. In other words, this chapter shows the worst, the epic worst of the Israelites, the worst of the state of Israel. So the word, the word, of Samuel in 11, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, all of them began to play out. They began to fulfill. Here, we are going to look at it verse by verse. Now, so, Chapter, nine, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. This is the situation. 
Saul appear here as a very silly prince. One, he became infatuated in his own counseling. As verse one of 13 said, verse one to three said, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Mithmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let all the Hebrews live. He was acting on his own wisdom. He was not consulting anybody. He did things the way he wants. And when the result began to come, it falls squarely on him and on the children of the, and the state of Israel. Here, verse four to five, he was invaded by his neighbors. Verse four said, now all Israel had it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines and the people were called together to Saul and killed him. He was invaded. Six to seven, deserted by his soldiers. The six says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. Then the people hid in caves, in tickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gan and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people, and all the people followed him trembling. This is the defeat of their original desire. This very verse was a total defeat of their very desire to have a king that will go out to war a king that will fight their enemy. This was a total disaster. And the disappointment to the, to the assemblies of Israel. In verse eight to 10, Saul himself was disordered in his own spirit and sacrificing in confusion. We all know, according to the uh, Israel at this, Paul, Saul is not from the tribe that is responsible for doing this sacrifice. He was not of the Levites. Even though by appointment, by being a king, that he prophesied with the prophets and all that, they, he was not a, 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 a Levite whose responsibility is to make sacrifice. It is the responsibility of the prophet, Samuel. But because he was confused, because he couldn't think of anything, because his, he was, his spirit was totally down, he decided to do what he was not obliged to, what he was not supposed to do.
verse 8 to 10 says, Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a bond offering and the peace offering here to me. And he offered the bond offering. Now it happened. As soon as he had finished presenting the bond offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. This is something that is not far from any of us. It can happen to any of us if we don't pay attention. If we are not in tune with the will of God. If we don't reason by, by hooking or connecting to God himself. He was confused. He was disordered. He was disoriented, even in his spirit. He looked at this physical situation. He looked and realized that the people have deserted him. Nowhere to run to. He decided to do what he's not supposed to do. Why? Out of disobedience. Even if he might have good intention in doing it, but as long as he's not by law or by the will of God, he's not supposed to do that. Under no circumstance would he do that. When you act outside the will of God, you're acting out of selfishness. When you reason outside the will of God, you are reasoning in vain. And the outcome will not be sweet. Now, he went ahead because of the situation he found himself. Because of the situation, the Israelites, <clears throat> out of disobedience, had put themselves, he decided to do what he should not do. And here, verse 11. And Samuel said, 11 to 13, and Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at midnight, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a bond offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever. <clears throat> Judging from human perspective, he gave valid reasons. That's why I said we can identify with him on this. We could have valid reasons not to do, or rather to do what God instructed us not to do. We can give 1,001 reasons why we should do that or why we should not do that. We could put up very, very convincing reasons why we should not hack him to that world or be patient enough seeing the circumstances we found ourselves. 
seeing that the enemies are very, very close, that the battle is raging against us, we can take such decisions. We can take such decisions. Why? Because we are spiritually disconnected. We are only looking at the physical circumstances. We are only reasoned by the strength of human brain. But if Saul had been vigilant, if Saul had been spiritually connected, if Saul has maintained his hand with God, he wouldn't have taken that decision. He wouldn't have made such decision. He could have waited for, for, for Samuel to come. And the Bible said, immediately he finished sacrificing that Samuel walked in. Impatience. Impatience is one of the greatest killers of mankind. Impatience. We need to be very, very patient when it comes to the things of the Lord. When we are impatient, we can do things that we are not supposed to do. When we are impatient, we may try to help God. We will reason that we want we can we can help God. No, you can't. It's not possible. But God can use us to do things. We cannot help it. If Saul was spiritually awake, he would have known the direction the Lord was leading him. But he was blind spiritually. He was full of self. And where, if you look at when the son, Jonathan, strike the, uh, the Philistines, the garrison, he came out and declared war, so to say. He did not, in the first place, try to make peace or try to reason. He declared war, calling the children of Israel, knowing that they have nothing. They don't have what it takes. Now we are speaking. They are now being led carnally by their king, who's supposed to have all the latest gadgets, all the latest, their armor is supposed to be full. But Saul was not aware of all this. And instead of knowing that they want to lead themselves, they should have so many things in place in order to actualize their end by being the heroes, the warriors, as they desire. Remember that God has fought so many wars on their behalf. And this is just a small one. They couldn't make any preparation. They were not, all in all, they were not prepared. So their self-determination was purely out of foolishness of their mind. It was a fantasy, lack in substance, in substance, and they have nothing to offer. Here they were, barely naked, nothing to fight, nothing to defend themselves with. 
while their enemy was very, very sophisticated. But if the Lord was with him, if he had seen the Lord at the right time, even in their rejection, God would have manifested himself. it leads to disobedience. And disobedience leads to disaster, as we, are, as we are seeing it here. In verse 14, verse 14, rejected of God from being king. Said, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. As a result of this single act of disobedience, even though it was not just it was not just one of them, he seems have been accumulated. His rebellious attitude has been there for all this while. His disobedience to the uh, to God has been accumulating. But here, by sacrificing, doing what he was not supposed to do, God said, he said, no, I'm done with you. And we ought to understand that even at that, the spirit of God was no longer with him. He was acting on his own. He was acting out of his own wisdom. So he was rejected of God, being the king. Why? Because of impatience, because of disobedience. Obedience is what the Lord wants from us. That's what He wants from us. We cannot help God. We only need to be obedient to His word, sorry, to His will. Obey His command. Now we continue to look at it. On the side of the, 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 the entire Israelites, they were, they appeared very miserable. These are the people that two years ago, so to say, they were full of hope that they are going to determine their own fate, that they are going to do their own things, being their own lots. Their king will determine their fate in everything they do. They cast away the power of God that's been protecting them. They forge ahead. But here they are, very, very miserable at this point. If we look at chapter six, I mean, verse six verse, uh, to verse seven, they were disheartened and dispersed. Six and seven said, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, but the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the Jordan, to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. This was the state of Israel. At that time, the people were distressed. They have never been in this situation when God was leading them, when God was their leader. But out of rebellion, out of 
their own way, you know, they their reason, the reason to be like other nations. That is, I competition is not a bad idea, but it should be healthy. You should emulate from others what is good, not what is bad. What they did not understand, the children of Israel did not understand. They don't know that those other nations, as they put it, were even jealous of them. They saw how what God has been doing in their lives. How God has rescued them. How he has led them, even through the valley, even through across the sea. He divided the, 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 the Red Sea. He cut a way for them. Only Israel. But they could not understand all this. They just put it aside and decided to be like others. To condescend to the level of others, other nations. Now they have seen what those other nations are seeing. They are distressed, disheartened, and dispersed. Look at them hiding in caves, hiding in rocks, fleeing. This was not the spirit of Israel when God was leading them. And that shows that the Spirit of God has departed from them. 15 to 16 said they were diminished. They were diminished. It says, then Samuel arose. Then Samuel arose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Remember, at the beginning of the chapter, he had 3,000 soldiers. But here, we are not talking about the whole multitude of assemblies of Israel. We are talking about his own soldiers here because the men, the people of Israel, they have all run away. They are now hiding. But even his henchmen, only 600, 600, Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people present with him, which is the 600, they remain in giver of Benjamin. But the war is the battle line is already there. 600 men. And in verse 17 to 18, they were plundered for the first time in the history of Israel. They were plundered. These are the people that always went out to war, conquer nations. They, take um, word, uh, whatever that, that they could lay their hands. But look at them being plundered. Verse 17 to 18 say, then the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One complete turned onto the road to opera, to the land of Shur. Another company, Turned to the road to Bethlehem, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooked the valley of Zebon towards the wilderness. That means in every, they were cycled, they were blocked in every, in every area. There was no way of escape. 
and they descended on them. Verse 19 to 23, they were disarmed. They were disarmed, totally disarmed. And 19 said, now it happened. Why Saul talked to the priest? I'm oh, sorry. Um, 19 said, now there was no, no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. But the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make Saul or spare. Put all the Israelites, but all the, all the Israelites will go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's blowshirt, his mortar, his axe, and his sickle. 21. And the charge for the sharpening was a pin for the blowshirt, the mortar, the pots, and the axes, and to set a point of the goal. So it came about on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with sword in Jonathan. But they were found with sword in Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mechmash. They were plundered, disarmed, they did nothing to fight the battle. They have been in similar situation. If we cast our mind back to the book of Joshua, I mean, uh, they, they, their victory were not determined by the amount of their weapons. Because God was fighting their battle. So, when as they determined to be their own lord, as they determined to rule their own fair, as they determined to fight their own battle, as they determined to cast away God, they should have made provision for themselves. They should have begun to make things put things in place, all that is required. They should have built their armory because they want to be like other nations. They should know that other, those other nations, they have their armories. They have their, they have their soldiers well equipped for war. Now, ordinary knife, ordinary sword they don't have. Yet they want to fight the battle. They want to go to war like other nations. What they did not understand was that they want to be defeated like other nations. No weapon, even the ones, even it was it, there was a kind of economic or military blockade here that even to sharpen the one they have, if they, even if they have the two that is left, with one in, one in, in the hands of King Saul and one in the hands of um, Jonathan. Yet, if they are to be sharpened, they have to go to the Philistines, to the town of Philistines, in order to do that. What a miserable nation. Israel at this point was a disgrace. Now, but one thing, we may not be King Saul, but can identify with him in so many ways. Man has always been the greatest destroyer of himself. Why? When self set in, we throw all caution to the wind. We fail to acknowledge the supremacy of God. We fail to acknowledge his divine wisdom and power. And we fail to see where he's leading us to. But one thing is clear. 
we can only achieve success through obedience to the word of God. Victory can only be achieved through obedience to his commandment. It's only through obedience that windows and gates of heaven can be opened unto us. My brothers and my sisters in Christ, are you tired of waiting on the Lord for his promises? Are you concerned about your deteriorating health conditions, about your family and friends? Are you afraid of what tomorrow might bring? Is your faith wavering? Are you demoralized by your current situation and things around you? Are you at the valley of life, thinking that God is too far? Please go with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 41. I will read from 10 to 13. This is God speaking. He said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will uphold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. That is the word of God. Go with me to the to first Peter. And just I'll round off in a moment. Sorry, second, uh, second Peter, second Peter chapter three, from three to nine, it says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own laws, and saying, what is the promises of his coming? For since the father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For these they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. For the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same words, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. As some count slack, slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, that all will come to repentance. Amen. That's the word of God. His promises for you, even though it might tarry, it must not come to pass. And finally, back to Isaiah chapter 1, which is the beginning. We had this in the beginning of the services. Isaiah chapter 1, 16, 19. Verse 16 says, 
wash yourself, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Father Lord, we thank you for how you've led us. Thank you for your words that have gone forth. Thank you, Father, that you are in our midst. Thank you that you have given us the privilege, the opportunity to hear your words. Father, multiply it in our, in our life. May it be like a seed planted beside the stream of water. May it germinate, Father, and bear fruit in our life. That the world will know that we are living, that we are serving the living God. Blessed be your name, Father. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the wondrous things that you've been doing in our life. Thank you for what you are doing now. And thank you, Father, for what you continue to do in our life. Only guide us. Strengthen us. Quicken our faith, O oh Lord. Restore us, O oh Lord. Even though we've gone astray, we ask you, O oh Lord, you that forgive us. Okay. Blessed be you. Even as your people will depart to our burial or connect to our other things, Father, let it be according to your directives. May your mighty protection continue to rest and abide with us. Is there any, any that are sick among us, O Lord? You are the great healer. I pray right now, Lord, that they shall receive their healing. That you stretch out your healing hands upon them, that they shall receive their healing and give glory unto thee. We bless your name. Lord, we thank you. We lift your name higher above every other name, for you are worthy. There is none beside you. Father, those that are bereaved amongst us, to commit them into your holy. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen them. Father, even when it seems there is no hope, give them hope. I pray, Father, that you give them the fortitude, Lord, to bear the words. Blessed be you. Blessed be you. Thank you for your good work. The rest of the week, oh Lord, I commit into your holy hand. And I pray, Father, that it shall be a blessing unto your people. And it shall be a week of testimony. A week that we can say that the Lord is good. Thank you for our children. Thank you for our work, so Strengthen them. Father, give them strength, give them wisdom, that they may be raised and stand according to your words. We thank you, Father. We thank you for how you, you are leading the church. We pray, Father, that you strengthen us. We pray, Father, that you give us 
they never met. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom and knowledge. We understand that leadership is not easy, but with you, it is as easy as everything. Thank you, ancient of days. Bless everybody here and every family here represented. Those that are here and those that are not here, Father. Father, distance is no barrier. Body. Of the present Father. Connect and bless each and every one of us. That your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.